This is the We Spin Recipes podcast with Andrew Apanov. Hello everyone, Andrew Apanov here, and you are listening to the new edition of the We Spin Recipes podcast. For those of you who are new to the show, Wispin is a growth training platform and community for musicians. If you have any interest, just check it out, sign up for a free trial at wispin.co. And on this weekly show, we have conversations with different people from the music industry, discuss various ways for you to grow as an artist and uh, uh, cover interesting new startups and and so on. If uh, you like these episodes, feel free to sign up to us on iTunes or SoundCloud. I am extremely excited to announce uh, my guest today. He's someone I've been following for a while and finally we had a chance to, to talk. So it was actually the first Skype call that we had and we haven't met in person just yet. I hope we'll fix this in the future. And uh, yeah, so it, it really is exciting to introduce him to to you on, on this very podcast. The name of the guest is Buzz Grassmeyer. He is a digital strategist who in the past few years worked at a number of music tech companies, including Russia's biggest streaming platform called Zvuk and official data fam. Those of you who have been with us for a while may remember that we did a bunch of cool articles and webinars with them. Great platform. So recently, Buzz started a weekly newsletter called Music Tech Future. You will learn more about it in this very conversation. But don't forget to actually sign up to that newsletter. The link to the sign up form, just as all the articles and platforms we've mentioned, are in the show notes at wispin.co forward slash WSR62. I have to warn you here that this is a very thought-provoking episode. Buzz talks on some practical things here, like live streaming, connecting with your fans, or even attending hackathons. However, you will also face a number of interesting thoughts experiments. You may get the most out of this podcast and these experiments if you actually spend some time imagining yourself in such hypothetical situations. I can tell you that it works, I've done it myself. For example, how would you be earning money with your music if there was no copyright? Or how would you be sharing your music with your fans if there was no SoundCloud? Or how would you be building relationships with your fans if all of them were completely selfish? You may be surprised to realize that what you discover is very applicable to what you do now. In my opinion, it's partly because these thought experiments are closer to the truth than we may want to admit. In any case, hear it all for yourself. Enjoy our conversation with Bas Grassmeyer. Thank you so much for, for agreeing to be a guest on the show. I've been following you on social media for a few years now. I don't, I don't have a single idea how exactly I started following you, to be honest, but it's, it's really cool to finally have a chance to talk to you and record this conversation for the podcast. So welcome to the podcast and let us know how you're doing. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing good. Glad to be on. Nice to finally be speaking to you after, you know, following each other for so many years. And... My banal question, as usual, do you mind a quick intro and like a background to to yourself? I'm really curious to hear how you would describe what you do. Yeah, so I tend to um, introduce my uh, myself kind of in a chronological way. So 
I think the way most people know me is because I once wrote thesis about marketing music through nonlinear communication, it's called. So the idea was that instead of communicating through channels, which was how the music business used to work, you're now communicating through networks. So I wrote this thesis, this thing went viral. I did that in collaboration with a small independent record label in Bulgaria. So then I was working with like artists and, and a label. And from there, music startups found me. I started working for Official FM, which is a startup based in Switzerland, where people could upload their music and uh, present this in a cool way. And I became like uh, head of online communication there. And then um, not so long later, I joined a music streaming service in Russia called Zvuk, which is the leading music streaming service there. Initially as head of information strategy. So that was about as a service, you get a lot of sources of information, looking what you can do with them. I was also working on other projects within the same company. The company was called Dream Industries. Mm-hmm. Like they had a bookmates, which was basically a Spotify, but for, for books. And yeah, and then later I became product leads, focused completely on Spook and developed product strategy, built up the, the product team, development team, marketing, and um, yeah, helped restore it after a small break, helped restore it to, uh, to be one of the, I think, leading brands in music in Russia. And then I, uh, I left that about a year ago, well, year and a half. I took a break of a year from music, and now I'm kind of getting back into it, starting to write again. And I guess that's, uh, that's how I reappear on your radar. Yeah, and, and I really enjoyed your Instagram post from Russia, being Russian myself, by the way. So, <laughs> I mean, your comments around some of the common cultural things, let's say. So it was pretty fascinating. But yeah, so these days, you uh, just mentioned that you started writing again. And uh, I think it makes sense to mention your weekly newsletter at this point. Maybe a couple of words on what you send out and the concept. And obviously, we're linking to it in the show notes. But yeah, maybe how to sign up as well. Yeah. So the reason why I write, why I write is because it helps me to develop my thoughts and ideas. And also, it tends to just generate a lot of opportunities. I think, you know, I tell artists that giving away things for free is not bad because you can figure out how to monetize the attention that you get from that later on. And that's what I do myself. I give a lot of advice and perspective for free. So in in the weekly newsletter, which is called Music X Tech X Future, I try to give a fresh perspective each week. So basically an article on topics ranging from, you know, the difficulties for, for startups operating in the music landscape, but also kind of the future, you know, how is VR, virtual reality going to change the music landscape, uh, augmented reality, topics like blockchain maybe, but also how just success strategies for artists, how do you deal with all of these things going on? How do you embrace innovation? You know, how do you find like-minded people who can actually help you build cool stuff that you cannot do yourself. And maybe my favorite topic of all is how do you kind of lead your fan base as a tribe and how do you create new products or new business type of opportunities beyond selling a song or you know monetizing a stream from how do you develop that from your fan base. So that's what uh, the newsletter is about. And um, yeah, there should be a link below in the podcast notes, or you can find it through my Twitter, which is uh, BossGras, B-A-S-G-R-A-S. And it's like right at the top there, so you can't miss it. Excellent. Yeah. So usually I, I do this kind of 
pitches or ask a, a guest to sort of promote the the latest, you know, if a product or in your case, it's a completely free project. So I really wanted to get it right away because uh, I highly recommend uh, everyone listening to us to subscribe to the newsletter. I think there is a lot of um, great insights for musicians and for people in the tech industry. I mean, for music tech startups, it's absolutely a must. It's a very difficult um, market to be in right now. And you you provide some cool ideas and links as well. So it's not just an article per week, but you actually link to some others' works from there. So speaking of which, you just gave one example of the, the topic that you've been bringing up quite a few times, and it's building an audience online. And um, this is what we hear at Wispin talk about a lot. And um, what do you think about maybe discussing one of the things that you wrote in, in the newsletter and, and just giving an example of what kind of stuff you cover and uh, also to give some practical advice to our listener right now. And in particular, you had this article, I don't remember when, it, I think, yeah, something like a, a few weeks back, this idea of uh, this no copyright experiments, I believe. Yeah. So can you share a bit on, on the idea and what was kind of the point of this thought experiment? Yeah. So I like to, I think it's good to imagine kind of extreme scenarios for thought experiments and to think if that was true, how would I do things differently? Because you can find, you can then accidentally come across uh, ideas that also work right now. So I think one of the extreme scenarios would be what if copyrights just didn't exist another by the way another um, thought experiments i really like is imagining if all consumers all your fans were completely selfish so that's a concept from a behavioral economics i don't actually really believe everyone is inherently selfish and only does things for themselves but if you do that you can understand how telling people please buy our cd is a really weak proposition so then you have to kind of force yourself to think put yourself into the consumer's shoe. What can I do for them that makes them thank me that I give them this opportunity to spend money on me? So, you know, back to uh, copyrights, I try to imagine, you know, what's, what's going to happen to your music if there's no copyright. So obviously, uh, really big corporations will use your music and try to make money from it without paying you. People will, you know, sample and rip and remix your music without attribution. So in that environment, I think it's really important to have a very unique sound so that people recognize it easily. I think it's really important to unite your fans around you because then your fans will be kind of vigilant. They, they'll be vocal. If they see people using your music without attribution, they'll, you know, it's a, it's a very social uh, internet. So people will comment and, and try to di- direct people to you. Then, you know, you're not going to get paid for anything that can easily be copied. And I think that's not really very different from how it is now. I mean, streaming income is uh, increasing, but Final is making more money than, than ad-supported streaming, for instance. So things that cannot be easily copied basically have higher margins and, and uh, are more valuable to fans. So then you have to figure out what can I develop for, for this fan base that I'm building? And then, you know, there's a lot of steps in there. But uh, what can I develop for these people I'm surrounding myself with? And I think in that case, it's important to not be, you know, communicating downwards to your fans. I think it's important to 
turn them into kind of active members of a community, be a central part of that community yourself so that you can really understand who these people are, what they're into, what they like, and, you know, what type of things you can develop. And I think I really like, there's a EDM group from Holland. They make trap music. They're called Yellow Claw. They have a really cool apparel brand. And they developed that in partnership with some fashion designers. So their fans really, really love those clothes. They're, it's kind of part of some type of subculture. And a few years ago, when I saw them as like Amsterdam dance event or something, or even uh, I've seen them in Moscow also, even though they're Dutch, you know, all the fans, maybe you would see one or two fans with kind of band shirts uh, stuff. And now when you go there, people are wearing like their apparel from their brands from head to toe. And it's not super obvious that it's their clothes unless you know it's their clothes. So the the, the branding is not super obvious. So it's not like, you know, tour, ugly tour shirts or something like that. It's really good looking apparel. And that works for that fan base. And every fan base, you know, craves something else. Mm-hmm. That's so, a great example. And then the point in the end was actually large corporations already use your music and try to pay you as little as possible for it. People already sample, uh, rip and remix your music without uh, attribution, if it's good anyway. And in the Netherlands, at least, income from royalties and, cop- and rights is about 15% for artists. So, you know, actually, we're already living in a kind of post-copyright environment. So, yeah, my recommendation is like, don't you can find an importance and maybe you can support an organization that's uh, as for that type of interest. But I wouldn't waste too much energy on it because there's so much you can do to make money, to make your fans happy, to be uh, happier yourself. That's, I think, ultimately will just lead you to be more successful as an individual anyway. Yeah. So, I mean, that that is interesting because there's too many indie musicians these days, I think, cling to, to this uh, traditional model and still think in terms of uh, royalties from sales and from some other things and don't actually sell themselves as products, as a, as a whole brand and don't sell an experience. And I think you also mentioned uh, this interesting idea of, uh, which to me makes it a ton of sense, of uh, not broadcasting on social media when you communicate with your fans, but trying to establish these personal connections. So is it like you advise building a uh, a connection with a smaller group of people, but in a, on a more intimate level versus uh, trying to reach more people, but probably not getting as much feedback. So maybe a few words on that as well, if you don't mind. Yeah. So I think it's important that, okay, so I'll get to the not broadcasting thing first. So I think it's important that artists don't use social media to just broadcast. So That's difficult because it's always going to be a a mix of things. But you see a lot of Twitter profiles that are set up just to kind of copy paste the messages that are posted to Facebook. And actually, nobody ever really checks those uh, Twitter profiles, which is which I think is a waste. I think it's important to, you know, enter into conversation with your fans, understand who they are, not just after shows, but also also online. So I used an uh, example in my thesis. It's it's quite some years old, but it was about Deadmau5. He set up. He's a gamer. I, I think a lot of people know this. He's also uh, live streaming his games on uh, Twitch, which is kind of the, the game streaming platform uh, that's now owned by Amazon. He set up a server for Minecraft, and he invited like his fans there. And he even did more than that. He bought like these 
codes so that people could get Minecraft for free. He, he bought Minecraft for his fans. People could come onto the server, builds like their dead mouse worlds, and then occasionally that mouse would jump onto the server, you know, run around, have his fans running after him, and they would all be immersed in this virtual world of fan art. And I think that was a really cool example of really being engaged with your fan base and being part of that community. And that's the opposite, I think, of broadcasting. Broadcasting is very passive. You have this message that you send out, but you don't really care whether people, you don't really care uh, about the receiver. And I yeah. think a conversation shows more interest. A conversation engages people more, uh, which is really valuable. But also you start to understand people better. And I think understanding your fans is really the key to finding interesting ways to monetize or, or figuring out things to to offer fans that you otherwise wouldn't even think of because you don't know who they are. Yeah. You just made me thinking that probably this is the reason, one of the key reasons why so many artists who I consult or communicate with don't get Twitter because they treat it as a as a broadcast tool and not exactly a way to communicate. It may feel, feel a bit crazy because it's a social network tool, but uh, so many people treat, uh, to treat this platform and many others as a bulletin board, just a way to post updates about something and not actually communicate with people because it's very easy on Twitter, for example. And obviously other platforms all of that, but with Facebook, it's a bit trickier. And by the way, so any social media platform of preference lately, or maybe something you've been keeping an eye on in the last months? Well, I'm still a really big Twitter fan, but that's just a kind of personal thing I, I like the how easy it is to get exposed to other people's audiences and i think if you're trying to get your name out and you don't have a well, you're not going to have a big audience to begin with so you need to get exposed to other people's audiences and i think that's quite easy with you know the retweet dynamics and uh, sometimes quite visible mentions or the people reposting your stuff in general i think twitter is an easy way to get noticed by other people's audiences and then I think people joining Twitter now, it's easy. I think it's quite easy to see it as a broadcast medium because they're told to follow these huge celebrities which don't have time to enter into conversation with anyone. Whereas people who joined Twitter like, I don't know, five years ago, for us it's different because we use this tool. It was, you know, not really celebrities on there. It was mostly like journalists and experts on all kinds of topics. And you could I think for the first time, really easily reach out to each other, very low barrier. Instead mm -hmm. of worrying about how you're going to phrase this email, you just had to worry about, you know, a 140 character question. Hey, I'm doing this. You know, do you mind giving some feedback or do you mind? Can I email you some questions about this? Yeah. And the answer would like really always be yes. And I think Twitter still has that. I don't think people realize, but it's really easy to connect to people on Twitter compared to any other social media platform. I think Snapchat is really exciting also, but for, for completely different reasons, just because it's kind of a new, a little bit new type of, I don't know, new type of media formats in a way. Yeah. So it's, it's fun to play around with. Yeah. And for Twitter, I absolutely agree. And usually I explain Twitter as a B2B tool, a sort of, it's, it's really great for networking still. It's true that not everyone fully realizes that and uses uh, the platform to full potential, but it really is powerful and getting a reply from an influencer on Twitter is much easier. I probably like Twitter because I tend to write really long emails, <laughs> so it's, mm. it's very helpful to limit yourself with uh, short messages sometimes. So limitation is not always bad at all. 
Yeah, about Snapchat, uh, that does make a lot of sense as well. And so you mentioned this uh, dead mouse example, and I do like referring to dead mouse for some case studies because he's doing some proper stuff in terms of uh, engaging his, fo- his following. So these live streams, I believe he he's been into live streaming not just for his games but also music. And uh, I think this is the topic that you covered in the newsletters as well. And this is something that I like to talk about quite a lot. So live streaming, and um, it's something that has been around for much longer than Periscope and, and the likes. But what do you think about this whole idea of live streaming as something like just a lifestyle, casual, what I'm doing right now to live concerts and uh, some interactive stuff? So where this thing is moving right now and do you have any recommendations for the artists who are interested in the topic and the idea of live streaming well first of all i think you need to think about how fits into your strategy and what you really want to do with it do you want it to be rewards for you know your most hardcore fans or something exclusive do you want it to be a way to connect new people to your music do you want it to be really more a thing for your more hardcore fans, not as a reward, but just as a way to kind of stay engaged? I think that's kind of important to figure out. And because based on that, you also have to set kind of the frequency and kind of develop the concept for it. Because I think if you're doing regular live streams, it's really important to be consistent to always, like almost always do it at the same time. There you have to follow a little bit more the, the rules of actual broadcasting in a way so then i think it's good to look at kind of i don't know like gaming personalities for instance i think there's so much to be learned from them but actually another point i wanted to make is that live streaming sounds really cumbersome to many artists they think like what if i go to live stream how i'm like you know making my music i don't want to expose people to that kind of ugly creative process or they just don't think they can sit in front of their webcam and, you know, with some people in, in the chat and just play some music that's, you know, every day for two hours or every other day. But the thing is, you don't actually have to, it doesn't have to just be about music. If you are, you know, mo- most artists have a really strong passion for one other thing. Like for some people, it's like meditation or whatever, which is probably not so interesting to look at, actually. But for others, it's cooking, and for others, it's uh, it's video games, like, for instance, Dead Mouse. So you can do anything. It just has to be about you, your personality, or your, your band's personality, doing things together. And, yeah, but I, I really recommend just checking out some, some things on Twitch. Try to find something that's interesting to you. There are people that are doing, like, live painting also, so it's not just gamers. There are people that are actually cooking. There are people that are making music or DJing on there. So there's there's this they set up this kind of creative category. A music category already existed, but it wasn't really well used. But the creative category is quite well used. You see a lot of people doing all kinds of things on there, and I think it's pretty good inspiration. Yeah, yeah. So they they do have the music section right now, and I think yeah, it's it's indeed not uh, as popular as the gaming parts of the site, and it's good that there are alternatives as well. Chew is one example pretty interesting startup and uh, a bunch of others are trying to develop something new in that area so i think it is exciting but yeah it makes a lot of sense what you just mentioned and i like your recommendation of looking into what 
people in the gaming industry, for example, do, I mean, gamers, not necessarily in the gaming industry, but just fans of games who have followers on their streams and who are successful at this. So that's pretty cool. Speaking of startups, do you mind a question which could take like several hours of just, I guess, several podcasts at least, but I would really like to hear your thoughts on the music tech space overall. I do know that this is a global question, but I really like this uh, article from Courtney Harding on Medium recently about the... By the way, I, I'm having her on this podcast in a few weeks from now. Uh, really excited about that as well. And it was a really good post on, on how it's not the easiest time for music startups in terms of rising funds and just surviving. And there is several aspects to it. There is the whole streaming thing and like a pretty top level stuff that is covered by major tech blocks and so on. And at the same time, there is uh, a lot of great startups. I mean, some of them are great, some are not, who are doing something for musicians. So do you think it's, is it in, in a healthy shape right now, this music tech scene? It's kind of difficult to say whether it's healthy. I think it's pretty healthy. I think for a while you had a lot of people with a, a lot of very similar or exactly the same ideas all starting companies and all trying to solve problems that actually were not real problems or were already solved by existing platforms with more funding or other ways. So I think it's okay that there's a little bit of a crunch to just see kind of who survives and, and who doesn't. I think the situation around SoundClouds with what they went through with like, you know, having really tough negotiations, with, I guess, with uh, majors, because I guess they those negotiations were tough because they took much longer than comfortable for SoundCloud. I, I think I'm speculating, but I, I think their investors said like, you know, here's our funding. Now you have to go do deals with those people because we don't want to see those lawsuits anymore. And if you don't get those deals together, we won't you know, put more money in, which, you know, also deters other investors, new investors from putting money in. And yeah, the majors knew this. So that gave them a really good negotiation position because it's like either, you know, side these deals or you die and, you know, you need, I guess SoundCloud needed them more than the majors needed SoundCloud, even though SoundCloud is, has been a really amazing platform for the internet. So I think that has been a bit of a deterrence for investors because they see Still, this music licensing thing is really unpredictable. You cannot tell what it's going to cost. You cannot tell if you're even going to be able to put a license, you know, together to get licensed. You don't know how long it's going to take. And that's, I understand that there's a, that there could be a little bit less investment or enthusiasm to, uh, to enter that space. I even thought for a while that it might not be so bad if, well, that it might not be so bad if SoundCloud didn't make it. And of course, it would be bad because of all the talented people that work there and for what SoundCloud represents to me and to a lot of people of being this really nice, kind of the Twitter of music, a place where everyone can connect with each other, show off their music, uh, build up audiences quite easily. You know, it has a special place in my heart, let's say. But if a really big platform does fail, it creates a uh, new space for new companies to enter because actually there's not so many let's say five six years ago the online music landscape really could be anything and now we have kind of a new status quo of these music streaming platforms and a couple of free platforms like 
you know, YouTube, SoundCloud, and social media is pretty defined also. It's like, you know, the main channels, uh, Twitter, Facebook, and then newer channels like Instagram and Snapchat. But it's pretty boring and it doesn't feel like, I don't know, six, seven years ago where, where it felt like anything could happen and it could still take any shape. And I do think if, if a major player somehow fails, if, uh, you know, let's say Spotify clashes with labels really hard and they refuse to license them or something or something else crazy, it would be really interesting to see what would happen to the online music landscape after that, because I think it would change and I think a certain vacuum would have to be filled. But yeah, I think now it's a little bit stale. But that's an interesting idea to even consider and, and see how it could affect. So yeah, it, it does make a lot of sense. But I also like that there's now more more startups that are looking at solving real business problems rather than trying to give people yet another new platform to listen to music on. So they're trying, you know, there's platforms that are trying to help artists connect their fans to them more or, you know, have these portals where they can, with one link, link fans to all the different places where the music is available or, you know, new types of distribution platforms or rights management things or things with data. One uh, startup I quite like is Jukli, which sells, they sell subscriptions to concerts. So you pay a certain fee per month and then you can go to all these concerts in your city for free. And that's solving a real business need from promoters or venues who cannot sell out their shows. And then, you know, they can at least bring some audience anyway, so that the people that do buy tickets are not in an empty room. And I guess they get a little bit of money for every person that attends also, but I'm not sure about that. But I think that's a really cool startup in terms of helping a marketplace. Well, let's say like that, helping a marketplace out, helping connect these things together in a very uh, networked way. Yeah, great example and and makes a lot of sense. Awesome. So actually, my suggestion at this point is to encourage our listener once again to sign up to your newsletter, because I think you've just shown several dozen uh, reasons to do that. So before we wrap it up, do you have uh, anything else that you maybe wanted to mention to artists? Any particular topic that you think deserves uh, particular attention, even like literally this month, maybe there is something happening that you want to bring attention to? Anything more general, global, like just deep to artists listening to us right now? Yeah, so I assume most artists that are actually listening to to a podcast like this know about it but there's such a thing uh, there's something called hackathons which is basically a gathering of developers who try to you know build the coolest thing show who's the coolest creative developer within 48 hours and there's uh hackathons that are specifically dedicated to music and i think it would be really good for more artists to participate in those and it doesn't matter if you don't know how to program you are a problem owner and you can go there you know, sit down with some developers, explain, you know, your ideas or things that you're thinking about. And actually, well, if you manage to inspire enough people, you can actually go build it within 24 or 48 hours, depending on uh, how long the hackathon is. And I think that's a really good way to get connected to developers. I think that's really an important thing to be connected to so that you can start to develop kind of new tools for yourself or for your fans or new ways to monetize apps or whatever so yeah i don't know it's not a really specific tip for like this month although if you're 
in Europe or in Berlin towards the end of May, there's something there called Music Tech Fest, which I'm planning to be attending, which should be really cool. But yeah, I think that's like one of the number one tips I have for artists who, uh, who are trying to yeah. figure out this stuff. That's great. I, I think many people don't realize how many features that we use in, in, the, in the tools that we use actually were first developed at such hackathons. The Discover Weekly playlist uh, yeah, feature exactly. from Spotify Honestly. was developed in an internal hackathon. And Matt Algo, I think he heads that up. He recently stated that for I don't know, a couple thousand artists, 80% of their plays on Spotify come from this Discover Weekly feature. But also, besides that, besides being at the forefront of innovation, being around these people helps you think in a different way. It helps you think in a more, I mean, being around developers, it helps you think in a more systematic way. It helps you better understand how all these things we're using every day work and why they work like this. So I, I wouldn't say it's just important for artists. I think it's important for anyone in music or, or just anyone, period, to, yeah. to be involved in such things. Yeah. Awesome. That's a brilliant advice. Definitely uh, worth researching for everyone, depending on the location. So I guess we don't doesn't make a lot of sense to give very specific recommendations because our listeners are in different parts of the world. But obviously there is a lot of going on in the states and and in Europe. And yeah, so that's that's a really good one. Thank you. Yeah. Anything else to add before we finish this very episode? No, I don't have uh, don't have much to add. I think those open-ended questions were. Uh... You know, a good way to to let out some of those ideas already. Yeah. So everyone, follow us on Twitter and subscribe to the uh, newsletter, of course. Once again, the links are in the show notes. And but thank you so much for being on the show and sharing your your insights and and experience and uh, these great tips. So yeah, it was it was great. Yeah. Thanks again for having me. Thanks, Bas, and everyone listening to us. Don't forget to find the links to all the tools and articles covered in this episode at wispin.co forward slash WSR62. If you haven't yet, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Accidentally and a bit ironically, our SoundCloud account got two strikes recently. It was because of the Wispin mixes we hosted on our accounts. I had to remove... Uh, the the remaining mixes unfortunately but still one more strike for whatever reason and the Wispin SoundCloud account is no more. I hope it won't happen my cat Stout does too and despite our thought experiment in this episode I hope SoundCloud doesn't go down and we can continue delivering the show on this very lovely platform thank you all and see you next week You have been listening to the We Spin Recipes podcast. Learn how we can help you improve your music career at wespin12.com.